Brooklyn sounds like. Welcome to Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. This week, we're talking about NYC rent laws, election updates, shellfish divers in Peru, and much more. So today in the studio, we have Emily and Matt and Teresa. Hello. Hi, Referring to yourself in the third person. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, they say I'm weird, but I like doing that. Yeah. (laughs) They say, who is that? Another third person. Uh, Were we supposed to disagree with that? (laughs) No, you're a pillar of of normality and you know what normal is boring though so i'd rather be weird than boring that's true we were just talking about soda and you you're the wild one saying that cherry seven up is yeah y'all remember cherry i don't at all (laughs) that's a throwback you should they do have it in some stores in brooklyn i buy it sometimes oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah cool mascot is cherry coke today which was my favorite soda as a kid yeah, Fun cool. fact about me, that <laughs> I can hack into my accounts with that secret information. Yeah. <laughs> cherry, cherry, cherry Coke. Reveal too much about myself. All of your passwords. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to kick it off, Emily, with some local news? I do indeed. Um, so, up on the local news docket for today. Um, so... This past summer, uh, New York passed the statewide house, uh, quote, the statewide house security and tenant protection act of 2019, which we talked about a little bit on the show, um, back in that summer. I think it, I don't know if you were there, Teresa. It was before Matt joined the show. Um, you might have been, I think think you might have been there for that conversation. Um, and so those, that law, um, sought to ease up the notoriously high financial and historical burdens on those seeking to rent apartments in New York. For example, application fees were capped uh, at $20. Anyone in New York who's ever rented knows that they can commonly, you know, range between $100, $150. Yeah, pay like $99 or something like that for application And there's like whatever, like they claim it's going to be like processing fee, like background check, like whatever. And it it can get expensive just to apply. Like, then you don't get that back if you don't get the apartment, right? I I thought it was non-refundable. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. That's yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. awful. It's terrible, right? So like if you're applying for multiple apartments, you can lose like hundreds of dollars yeah. and have no guarantee that you're actually going to get anything out of it. And they've changed that now. So they're limiting it to $20, okay. um, which is, you know, is not easy for some people, but it's a lot better than like 100, 150. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and landlords also can no longer deny someone a lease based on a prior dispute the potential tenant may have had with a landlord. And that's really big too. Like a lot of the times... Um, before this law was passed, like landlords could ask to see, like ask for a letter, you know, from your previous, I mean, they might still be able to like weigh it positively. I don't know, but they can't hold it against you if you've had a bad relationship with a previous landlord, Yeah, which is huge. Yeah. That's like if you got, um, um, evicted. Yeah. Yeah. Like one misstep with a bad, you know, and like, who knows like what the landlord might've did on their end or whatever. Um, so that was a big step too. So that was all this summer. That's a little bit of background on what's currently going on. Um, so a little over a week ago, the Department of State issued a what is called a guidance active immediately, which offers its interpretation of the new laws that passed this past summer um, by the higher government. Um, 
While the guidance isn't specifically legally binding and is subject to change, it's being taken seriously. So it's consider it's it's the thing where it's like their interpretation of the law. So it's it's not technically. Like it's it's a little slightly complicated. My understanding is that it's not technically a new law or an expansion of that law. It's the way they're interpreting that law and saying so. So, you know, even though the law doesn't say this specifically, this is how we think it should legally be taken. So mm-hmm. enforcing it. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. This is how they've decided that the law should be enforced, which is which is broader than what the law actually states. Um, so what, what the new thing is um the main new thing to pay attention to here is that real estate agents hired to represent the landlord can no longer be paid a broker fee by the tenant. They must be paid by the landlord. And agents hired to represent tenants can still collect fees from those who hired them, um, which is huge. And it's a, this is a little bit wonky. So I actually am a licensed real estate agent in yeah, the state of New York. I went through that whole process. You are revealing about yourself I, today. I, I, might have, I know. Oh my gosh. I might have mentioned it once or twice. I did it. I tried it out for a little bit. So I used to. I don't know if we talked about that. I studied architecture and was kind of like, I need to try something different. So I was like, oh, real estate seems like, you know, adjacent nice and interesting yeah. adjacent thing. And it's it's such a huge part of the world we live in. I was like, let me give this a shot. That's so cool. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm yeah. more curious about that. What, oh, what yeah. did you think it would be? Because it's, yeah, yeah. it's got a lot of like social uh, associations, like real estate, like, oh, like, like, like a divorced like wife that gets born and goes yeah. into real estate or Yeah, yeah. No, I mean there's a lot of that. What's interesting there's a lot of allure to it. I mean, let me okay, let me finish <laughs> like we're getting a little bit sidetracked. Um uh, I'm gonna finish the news story and then we can talk more about that too. Cause I also we talk about it at the end too. It ties I tie it back to the, the industry itself a little bit. Um but uh yeah, so so how All is in, the real yes. estate industry taking this news? Oh, thank you for asking, Teresa. <laughs> Helping me get back on track. I got you. So the real estate industry, fun fact, <laughs> is not taking it well. Um, there are a lot of people, like if you've ever rented in New York, you may have, you know, you are probably aware that oh, there's a lot of um, agents out there that are like, if you want the, to get this apartment, you need to give me 1,500, you know, 15% of a year's rent, yeah. which is can add up to a lot of money, right? That's, I thought that was like, just the way it went though. Right. And, and you know, it, it, that's how it has been, right. That is like the way the city has become. And it's, it's people who move here from other cities are like, mm-hmm. what the hell is this? This is crazy. But that's just the way it's like, Oh, you know, New York's crazy, whatever. And they're trying to like kind of work on fixing that. Um, and of course, like if you hire someone to represent yourself, you'll still maybe need to pay that amount, but it's different because this is the person looking out for your interests now. Yeah. You're not paying someone looking out for someone else's interests, which is pretty fucked up that that was kind <laughs> of how that was running anyway. Um, so the Real Estate Board of New York, which is goes by Rebney, um, pretty powerful trade association. I am technically a member, just feels like a full disclosure thing, I should say. <laughs> um, they were totally taken by surprise by the guidance and only learned about it five days after it was issued, hmm. which is interesting, too. Um, they're actually filing, filing suit against the Department of State, which isn't really surprising, but um, they're claiming that the DOS overstepped its legal boundaries by issuing the guidance at all instead of following more official lawmaking channels hmm. and caused uh, unnecessary chaos by issuing it with no warning. Um, they're making a, the claim that the cost of the landlord paying uh, the cost of the landlord paying their agent will ultimately resent result in higher rents. Right? They're saying that this is going to get pushed onto tenants. Yeah. Anyway. I think it's personally BS. I think that what's more likely to happen is that landlords will shift to using internet resources like Street Easy mm-hmm. and just get rid of the middleman altogether. Um, 
I just think that's kind of what's going to happen. But of course, it benefits. And I mean, I'm not I'm not an expert by any means, just from what I've seen from within there. That's been a trend anyway. Yeah. Of people just like, you know, like um, like you as a renter now have access to information that before the Internet age, you had to pay someone to give you that information. Mm -hmm. And now that that's no longer the case, there's already been a lot of shifts to that resource anyway. And of course, I mean, of course, it benefits Remini to say, like, you know, you're not looking out for everyone's interest here. It's going to ultimately blah, blah, blah. But I, I think that might be a little bit of manipulation yeah. um, on their part. Um, and yeah, ultimately, this is a good thing. And there's going to be um, while ultimately this is a good thing, there are going to be some people that have been making a living on collecting broker fees. And to suddenly be cut off from your source of income is is rough, too. And yeah. that's that is what's interesting, I think, for me, too, about this story, too, is like. Like all of a sudden, like, bam, you can't make your income anymore for some people, which is pretty wild. Like, no, and there, and like, I think on that end, Remini is right. Like, to, to have this with like no warning, um, is kind of wild. Like, when we talk about regulating industries, like, I think this is a positive change. I think it is kind of crazy that you would pay someone else's representative. Yeah. Period. I mean, it does, ha and it happens in real estate. Like, you pay, and when you're buying and selling, it happens too, but those are much higher numbers, like, whatever. Um, different thing also for the amount of, you know, pocket money you might have when you're buying, mm. um, in some ways, maybe not always, but, um, can, can you yeah. just like break it down just like a children's book yeah. of why these brokers exist and just mm -hmm. like, you know, yeah. So, um, like, yeah, I, I need to get a place to yes. rent. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm 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 picturing myself in a children's right. book and I got like a cool like outfit on. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so essentially, I mean, it's it's essentially you can look at it two ways. You can look at it in a very like um oh, I'm blanking on the words here. In a very like uh nihilistic feels like the wrong word, a way where like really skeptical way where you're like it's just a way that people make fucking money off of like other people. And and yeah. a lot of industries are like that and you know, in some ways I think they're this is an industry that tries to find a way to make money like I remember when I was doing it I often felt guilty you know so like there are people out there that do this job and have a wealth of knowledge and are actually a very helpful resource for the people who have money to pay them and I you know I've uh yeah and if you know and if you use your powers for good and not evil you are giving someone a service that they want to pay you for because they haven't you don't have the time to do all this research on your own and yeah. these people are doing it every day and they know what's out there and they know what you want and they know how to find it for you and that's where that's helpful. Um, I did often when I was doing it, though, felt like I felt guilty for I felt like I was like having to convince people that I knew to pay me to do a job that I knew deep down that they could do themselves. Mm. And but I also was new at it. Right. Like I hadn't been doing it a long time. Um, but the industry like, you know, not the industry, but like real estate agents exist as like kind of like a regulated branch of the Department of State in a lot of ways. Like they're, you know, you only a licensed real estate agent can like collect money for like doing these certain jobs. Like you have to have your license to do it. And so it's a way for the department of state to kind of regulate the industry in some ways by, by making this be like a licensed position. Yeah. You know, does that make sense? Cause otherwise yeah. it would be a total free for all. It'd be people like you have to pay me this to get this position. But now that it's a licensed thing, the department of state can be like, you illegally collected money for this, or you can only legally collect this amount of money. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like it's a way of regulating it while also kind of sanctioning in some ways what seems like it, it would just the behavior, I think, would be much worse if if real estate agents didn't exist. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't know. I felt like when I was looking the last few times, Mm -hmm. the knowledge that they knew was the people that I needed to be connected to. Mm. Not necessarily because I was I think I looked at like 10 or 12 apartments before I found the last one. Yeah. And that takes a lot of time, Yeah, you know, like to schedule all of that stuff every single day. Um, So when I would be with one person, I would ask them, you know, to take me to as many properties as possible. So I felt like. I guess if I had to pay them to find these places, right. I didn't feel bad doing that. Right. If it was reasonable, though. Exactly. Yeah. You know. And that's and that varies by person, right? Mm-hmm. And this this new law, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like I I I don't know how much sway Rebney has right now cuz the state seems to really be pushing left mm. in a lot of ways, right? Even just the passing of this law would have been unthinkable like a few years mm-hmm. ago, I think, right? So I don't know. Like yes, the Rebney's filing suit. But I don't know how effective that's going to be. I think that's still up in the air. Um, It does seem like Romney is trying to have uh, the best of both worlds, where when you're a regulated or an agency that has certain standards. Well, Also, you can be sorry, I should clarify. You you can be a licensed agent and not be part of Romney. Romney is like an additional. um, It's like a what's it called? It's a trade group representing people. So you can pay to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So they represent you and, you know, in the industry, but you can also just be a licensed agent directly with the state and not be represented by revenue. But anyway, Mm -hmm. continue, Matt. Um, Like when you're licensed, the benefit of that is the exclusivity of having that job. It makes it um, more difficult for other people to come in. So you're benefiting from it, but it's also the trade off is you agree to play by certain rules that another uh, market wouldn't have because uh, yes. like anti-discrimination stuff. So like when they're when they're like, oh, get out of right. our way. Just let's do your job. It's like, no, that's not the deal with licensing. <laughs> like you've agreed to like play by these rules. Right. And yes, yeah. in return, you don't have as much competition in the job market. Yes and no. So actually, it's actually very easy to be a real estate agent. I would argue that it's not quite about competition amongst agents. It's more... It's just kind of the way it's fallen in. Like it, it is a very low bar to reach to be a licensed real estate agent. I would say. Okay. So yeah. No. 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 You don't need to apologize. I was thinking of um, like being a lawyer. Did a, yeah. An episode on like uh, licenses for like mm-hmm. uh, becoming a like to do nails, mm-hmm. and they're like, why does anyone? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No. That's really interesting. I'd say that it's just kind of like a social contract that was written probably in less nihil- like less like. Um, times when you know you couldn't like referring to previous week shows you couldn't advertise for medicine on tv right or like mm. it's like back to those times when it was like this needs to be regulated let's regulate this yeah and then this what's kind of what we have now is the result of, I, I actually don't know the official history but that's i think more because the bar you can st- it's pretty easy to be licensed it's kind of mm. like i would kind of almost equate it to getting your driver's license where it's like you have to study and you can fail it a few times for sure um, and then, but then once you have it, you're not guaranteed a job, you're not guaranteed work, you're not guaranteed a car. Like, it's just, you have to f- kind of figure the next steps out for yourself, mm. I would say. Wow. That's my personal, personal opinion. <laughs> I do not represent Rebney. I do not represent any firms I belong to, just FYI. That's just my personal, what I've experienced. Um, anyway, it's been interesting. And it, it is, you know, stories like this stand out to me as someone who no longer makes, you know, any or the majority of my income on this it's you know i have that insider but outsider perspective like it doesn't affect me super directly yeah but i know i know people or i know that world's kind of very inside like inside that world and what it's like and it's kind it is kind of wild that something like this would happen um and like no warning like they didn't even notice for five days that it had been (laughs) issued which is really interesting like that and that tells you that no one from the department of state reached out 
to these groups to be like, by the way, this is what happened today. Not only like this is going to happen. This happened. They had just kind of figured it out five days later. Mm. And that's pretty wild. Do you think they would have like mounted a, a sign? Yeah, I am. I, you know, I don't know why they would have just kind of like done it like that. But I'm sure it was kind of to avoid um, any pushback. Yeah. Pushback before it could happen. Mm. It's wild. Yeah. Anyway, that's an interesting story, guys. All right. <laughs> Thank you, so anyway, know, know your rights. As a, as a rent, anyone listening who's a renter, you have a lot more rights now than you did, you know, eight months ago in terms of financial, you know, when you're renting and stuff. So know those things going into it. That's it's important. Yeah. No more sucky application fees. Hey. And uh, yeah, so we have another local story by Jasmine, who unfortunately didn't feel well enough to come in. And we support everyone's decision to stay home when they're not feeling Exactly. Good. So shout out to Jasmine. Shout out to we Jasmine. hope you feel better, dear. Yeah. Uh, anyone want to read the story she wrote up? Um, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Cool. All right. So an ICE officer shoots a, man, a Brooklyn man in the face. So on February 6th, a man was shot in Gravenson by an ICE agent. And the agent was serving him a deportation order. ICE was attempting to arrest Gaspar Avendando Hernandez is his name. And that's when they discharged at least one firearm when officers were physically attacked. So they're saying that he attacked them or he was attempting to attack them and he got shot. Um, he lives in that house with his girlfriend and her two sons, who's uh, 26 and 19 years old. As ICE officers attempted to detain him, they got into an altercation with his son. The agent then shot the 26-year-old Diaz in the face. Video shows... Um, him and the brothers were struggling as the agents were cursing them out in Spanish and the agents wearing a light gray hoodie and a hat zap, zapped him with a taser. And then um, they had him propped up against a car. So Diaz was injured and he was treated um, at the Miamondes Medical Center and he is expected to recover. Um, he's also been arrested by the NYPD on February 3rd, according to ICE, for possession of a Forged instrument, a felony criminal charge. So ICE tried to detain him after um, the most recent arrest, but he was rela- released from into local custody before ICE could detain him. Yeah, this is really sad. Um, we don't really hear the stories of what happens when ICE comes. You know, we just know that they're out there. So I definitely think there should be some sort of um, acknowledgement that people shouldn't be being shot by ICE agents. Mm-hmm. Where they're yeah, also, but at least trying they're. To- Avoid deportation. They're finally putting a lid on the overwhelming (laughs) crimes of forged instruments. (laughs) Exactly. What is is that, though? What is a forged instrument? Forged instrument. I don't... I I imagine it's just like a counterfeit, like, guitar or something that... Something they thought was and thought was a weapon? Oh, forged instrument. I was thinking... (laughs) I thought, like, it was something like that. Okay. My joke doesn't work as well. I mean, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm I'm asking you guys. Yeah, a forged instrument. I don't know. Okay, all right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Um, yeah, but that that does seem crazy. Did uh, did they say the order of the events was um, the son Diaz uh, was he zapped? Oh, how come I can't think of the word? Um, they tased him. Tased him and mm-hmm. then shot him. Or well, according to this report, it just says that he was tased and treated in a hospital. But that I think he. Was additionally shot. Oh, in was the additionally face, shot. I think. So well, we're, we're confirming now. Um, but I was reading about that too. Cause it's, yeah, people get tased, but like in they to recover from your injuries implies a much more yeah serious 
<laughs> Matt's, Matt's looking up at a forged instrument. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in penal law section 170.20. Oh but I'm, I'm not getting anything that uh, would make us understand. It sounds like it's just a legal term for fake stuff like counterfeit. or oh, Okay. Um, so immigration activists are now on site monitoring suspicious ICE activity. Uh, La Colema is a community-based organization working with day laborers, domestic workers, and other low-wage and immigrant workers. They issued a statement regarding the shooting. Uh, Yesenia Mata, the group's executive director, said that the said this. Um, this was her statement: "News that ICE shot unarmed people is distressing and caused fear in our communities. Why are ICE agents resorting to force when they are the ones who are detaining and deporting fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, um, who are in the county?" just to provide for their families. The public safety is a priority, but we demand answers from ICE. No one should be afraid uh, to hear a knock at the door in the early morning and worry that not they n- will not only be detained, but will be shot in the face. Okay, I'm also FYI seeing that not only did they tase him, some they also pepper sprayed him and then shot him in the face. Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is awful. It's terrible. I mean, we grew up uh, I mean, ICE didn't always exist, but this type of like violent um, approach to immigration has always existed. And to put it in context, it's kind of crazy. It's when Julio Castro wanted to mm. change the law to make everything civil offenses is because like that's what the level of the, the offenses would be. It'd be like if the IRS mm-hmm. was going around with armed agents mm-hmm. enforcing. The th- it's like the same thing. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. It's a job that needs to be done, but. It doesn't have to be done that no. way. Yeah, not with yeah. violence and all this. Yeah, that's why people are afraid. You know, yeah. like, um, you know, what well, is this? Really awful. Heartbreaks yeah. for him and his family. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, yeah, and I found that note about the order of that stuff on the Washington Post too. So it's as accurate as <laughs> wow. Yikes. Um, oh, so let's take a break for some music. Yes. Is that all right, guys? Yes. Um, yes. And Teresa, you picked out the music today. Yes. You so our us? first <laughs> song, uh, Notice Hints of Full Moon today. Yeah. I think Snow Moon. Um, so this is a Brooklyn band that I just found out because I watched their NPR Tiny Desk the other day. I love Tiny Desk. Phony Jess. People. Yes, they're so um, good. So this song is called Why I Love the Moon. We'll be right back. That's why I love the moon Every night it's there for you It's constant Unlike these human beings Who lie about what it seems to be You think the earth is where you stand Why I love the moon Cause it's always there for me Every night about my window And that's why I love the moon Cause it's always there for me Every single night 
That's a dope song, right? Yeah. Yes. So welcome back to Objection to the Rule. Yeah. Um, as I was saying, this this band is a Brooklyn-based band, and I was like super late to find out, but their NPR was dope. So Yeah. All right. So let's get to this national news. Matt, you want to kick it off? Yeah, Hurricane Maria and disaster recovery. Quote, uh, this is coming from the New York Times. More than two years after Hurricane Maria descended, destroying power poles, public buildings, homes, roads, and other infrastructure from one end of the island to the other, an estimated $1.6 billion in insurance claims. Pardon me. Particularly, yeah, yeah, sorry. Particularly high dollar claims filed by cities and condominium associations remain unresolved, end quote. We are all familiar with the hurricanes and earthquakes that have rocked Puerto Rico, but I didn't know anything until I read this article about how to pay pay for it all. There's FEMA, there's the federal government, Congress passing special bills of allocation, but also there's private insurers. Ultimately, it sounds like these private insurers aren't doing so great. Quote, Hurricane Maria exposed an important deficiency in the process of Puerto Rico's disaster recovery. Underfunded private insurers who were subject to few regulations. While blame has been directed at the federal government for not providing timely disaster release, less attention has been paid to the private companies that had a contractual responsibility to help clients who had paid premiums, many of them for years, end quote. Um, when I'm reading this, it's kind of funny because I'll use like the um, 
the the voice activated, you know, when I'm doing text messages. Mm-hmm. And so when I read out loud, sometimes I almost say comma or like period. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So th- there have been claims of fraud on both sides of the issue. From my reading, it looks like many of the private insurers don't particularly like being in the insurance business, however, i.e. they don't like paying the claims when disasters do happen. But who do you trust? Quote, one municipal building had handed, handled, had handled, or what? That I think, okay, what I, I think it's supposed to say, one municipal building this person had handled, had panels blown off the roof, was mm-hmm. flooded and lost all its windows. Wow. The carrier came up with $131,000. And then let's say I go out there and go with experts and come up with $3.8 million. I think this is a quote where you left off some information, Matt. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure it out. <laughs> All right. So, it's, um, so people are making claims uh, that have different prices. So one municipal right. building had all the panels blown mm-hmm. off and the carrier, the insurance provider, came up with 131,000. And then uh, FEMA says it's 4.9 million. The other insurance experts said 3.8 million. There's a massive oh, wow. discrepancy there. Another contractor said 4 million. Mm. So, wow. It, it seems like some things are pretty unbalanced as to who gets to say how much these things are worth. Right. Um, and I just find that all of this is so angering because if you just imagine that your home and entire community, uh, gets rocked by all these disasters. And then when you try to rebuild, you get on average 60% of the claims that you mm-hmm. file. And that's after it takes about, uh, 10 to 11 months uh, contesting the insurance adjusters in court. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So it's very. Yes, know. it's tough. When um, at my school, we did a lot of like uh, hurricane relief, you know, fundraisers and things of that nature mm-hmm. that one year when there was like a million storms yeah. for all these different um, um, islands. And it was really hard to find the right or- organizations mm-hmm. to send our money to because you know um, a lot of our students had were Puerto Rican and they had family that was mm-hmm. there so we definitely wanted to make sure it got to the right organization um, but it was difficult you know we really had to do some digging to find out yeah you know if this if this is going to reach the people it's supposed to be yeah. serving mm. it's really yeah. tough that is tough it reminds me of how uh, in um, the contiguous states <laughs> there's <That> word choice <laughs> the the highest profit margins for landlords are in impoverished communities Oof. and i feel puerto rico has a lot of uh, opportunistic business practices yeah. mm-hmm. uh, coming in uh, making just just business models that shouldn't exist with mm-hmm. these private insurers that can't um can't pay yeah. for things when disasters do happen yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that happens a lot. People without the resources to fight for what they actually deserve or don't have the credit score to or whatever to back up like a better rate because they're more likely to pay it back. So they get a better rate. That's how like a lot of things like this work sometimes um, or loans. I don't know. Insurance seems like it's similar if that's what you're saying, where it's like the people without the resources yeah. often have to carry the the burden the yeah and a lot burden. of times you know the families don't live there that mm-hmm. do pay these insurance premiums they pay for their families yeah you know what i mean so they're not even there yeah um yes yeah, really it's rough stuff unfortunate yeah well thank you for reporting that yeah absolutely oh, um, and then we have another absentee reporter today sarah kindly put together 
something that I didn't want to <laughs> have to deal with, but a, a story on the Iowa caucus. <laughs> I mean, we should, we should know what happened. Oh, of course. I, I'm just glad she had to do the burden of the research because it was just emotionally draining. <laughs> it was a lot going on there, it right? Was a lot. It was a lot. Um, do you want to read it, Teresa? Do you want me to read it? Why don't you go for okay. it? So uh, with uh, finally 99% reporting, um, the Iowa caucus has concluded that uh, with that Pete Buttigieg um, came in at 26.2% with 13 pledged delegates. Bernie Sanders coming in at 26.1%, 12 pledged delegates. Um, the Associated Press said it was, quote, unable to declare a winner. The results took several days to accumulate an unprecedented delay. So what actually happened? According to the New York Times analysis, quote, more than 100 precincts reported results that were inter- internally inconsistent that were missing data or that were not possible under the complex rules of the Iowa caucuses. Mm-hmm. Many of the errors were innocuous and not likely to affect a winner. But with the race coming in so close, some of the errors will prevent a clear winner emerging, which could have longer term effects on the primary election ahead. Many small errors like app malfunction and manual data entry error led to the problematic results. But it does not seem like rigging or other corruption was at play. Overall, public confidence has been lost in the Iowa caucus, and many have made the argument that the debacle has only strengthened the Trump's administration's campaign. Both Both Pete's and Bernie's campaigns declared themselves winners of the caucus, followed by Elizabeth Warren with eight delegates, Joe Biden with six delegates, and Amy Klobuchar with one delegate. Mr. Buttigieg fared the best in rural states, where Sanders took the urban centers. Uh, I'm sorry, rural areas. Well, Sanders took the urban centers because it's all one state. Um, to get a little more specific, Sanders came out on top in the, quote, first alignment, which is essentially an approximation of the popular vote. But Mayor Pete had the best numbers in the final alignment, a measure of the, quote, state delegate equivalence, which determines how many delegates each candidate gets. So essentially, they both came out close enough to win an alignment, making it impossible at this point to declare a winner. Next up is the New Hampshire primary, and let's hope it does better than Iowa. <sighs> and oh, it goes sigh, on. Sigh, sigh. So what do you guys think? I was really shoot, shooting for Elizabeth. I know it's I not know. over, but. I, I don't know least, what to think anymore. Right. I, we're not endorsing anybody. I'm just saying. No, I, just I mean, to... we can endorse whoever we want. Like, yeah. we're not. <laughs> I'm not sure Freeform if I'm endorsing. Radio, I'm baby. just saying. I need my student loans forgiven. Yeah, no. She I seems serious I, about that. I love, yeah, I love Elizabeth. I love, um, you know, I love a lot of Bernie's platforms. Um, yeah. You know, I know it's, it's, I'm just, I just don't want Trump to win. I honestly, like, I will, I will vote for whoever is exactly not Trump the lesser at of this two point. Evils. I, I mean, hopefully it's someone I really love. Yeah. But at this point, like, I, that rhetoric all or nothing, I think is what got us to the point we are. Yeah. And it's really scary. I know. And the saga continues. I know. And the saga does continue, actually, because the next thing I have is uh, the the final impeachment update. The final <laughs> which impeachment. Seems, which is related. Okay. <laughs> final people. Done. I know, right? So uh, this was a segment that I told Emily yeah. we should do, and I didn't want to do it after a yeah. while. So thank you for everybody yeah. for working on no, pieces of, of it. Yeah, we all this- did it together. Well, just together. I mean, this was also, um, you know, an idea of to talk about uh, continuous updates on the election impeachment, like, Things that are looming that, you know, it's not just one story we can hit. It's going to be yeah. a continuous story. So that was a good idea to do that, too. Thank you. Um, so I just put this together kind of quickly because um, I found an Atlantic, uh, an article in The Atlantic called Requiem for an Impeachment that pretty much just was everything <laughs> I could have wanted to say and more by um, Perfect. by Quinta Jurassic. I Ooh. apologize. 
Can we switch off each paragraph to make it more dramatic? (laughs) uh, Yes. Yeah. So this is basically majority her words and the way she phrased it. But it was also good that I um, I just felt the need that we needed to talk about it here. Um, All right. So Requiem for an Impeachment, as The Atlantic so appropriately put it. This week, the Senate acquitted Trump on both articles of impeachment, quote, bringing an end to a process the president has been hurtling toward since the moment of his inauguration. Adam Schiff made the following closing argument. I did not ask you to convict him because of truth or right or decency matters. Decency matters nothing to him, he said, but because we have proven our case and it matters to you. The Senate's response in acquitting was clear. Nothing matters. Mitt Romney was the only Republican to vote for impeachment, saying, were, were I to ignore the evidence that has been presented and disregard what I believe my oath and the Constitution demands for me for the sake of the partisan end, it, um, it would, I fear, expose my character to history's rebuke and the censure of my own conscience. Romney's vote was a genuine. Oh, this is another quote directly from her. By okay. the way, Romney's quote was. Oh, that was Romney's quote, and then oh no, okay. and then I'm saying this is a quote. Um, okay. So quote Romney's vote was a genuine act of bravery. It was also the bare minimum for any senator with a shred of principle. This doesn't erase the courage it took. The uh, nature of moral life is that we are often asked to do things that are beyond us. So what comes next? Well, Trump has been firing impeachment witnesses. I pronounce that uh, just FYI. (laughs) It's scary to think what sort of principle this whole thing might be setting. A fearsome imbalance of the balance of powers. But one thing's for sure, we all have to vote locally and nationally. Yep. Dun, 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 dun. dun, dun. (laughs) This is all very scary and very upsetting. And Trump's, (sighs) Trump's of course, being like, I was, you know, it's all me. I just, mm." right. It's really upsetting. And, you know, I mean, Jasmine talked about this. Was it last week a lot where, you know, um, it's when you in the face of things like this that feels so overwhelming and so scary and like, how do we fix this? It's so fucked up. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, just remember that, you know, the, the, the people that make up the Senate in the House, but the Senate right now, too, are, you know, much smaller scale. Like you have much more power to affect change locally you can get, you know, we can get out the Mitch McConnell's. Yeah. You we know. have to work together, though. I mean, yeah. I think people only focus on the presidential election yeah. because, you know, so much money goes into advertising it. But the mm-hmm. reality is, like, you know how many people never got to, like, fought for the right for all of us to vote? Yeah. Um, And so many people just don't have faith in the system. But don't do that. It's a trick. It's a tool. Yes. Yes. It's don't, a tool. Don't become okay? nihilistic. Don't. Don't do that. That's don't, what they don't want. back out. They you want know? you to quit. They exactly. want you to give up and just be like, oh, like it's over. You just got to you got to keep fighting the good fight in the face of some real assholes. <laughs> yeah. Keep fighting the good yeah. fight. Like, you know, and honestly, like Mitt Romney gives me a little bit of hope. I got to say, like I, he and I know, like, you know, like this article, I think, put it really clear. Like he did the bare minimum. It's like, you know, praising a dad for like holding their baby at the grocery yeah, store. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> but it's still like it's still good. Right? That means the rest like we don't know how many of the rest of them didn't right. do the bare minimum. Right. Well, like all of them. But yeah, but it's like, you know it's still brave. It's still brave of him. And he, you know, he's like, I think he said something about there being, there's going to be unimaginable consequences for his life in the Republican party because of that. And he knows that. Yeah. But even knowing that he still, you know, did, he did what he had to do. It just gives me hope. It's like the one person not gaslighting the rest of us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Anyway, music break. Yes. Okay. In honor of our lovely snow moon. Yeah. Um, this song is called The Other Side and it's from the band Moonchild. We'll be right back. Stay with us. back that was beautiful thank you and like i wrote the song i know <laughs> thank you so, that was a great choice thank you I'm gotta go slow it down a little bit moon yeah. child the other side yeah all right so we're jumping into this world news matt you want to kick it off yeah um i i have a about a little two minute piece that uh al jazeera put out about uh the fishermen and shellfish divers in peru so yeah Five to six hours non-stop. He says finding shellfish these days is difficult. The water is warmer, so the crabs hide underground. There's been overfishing. In the past three years, we haven't found any squid around here. 
The Bay of Paracas, south of Lima, is an area protected for its diversity. Fishermen are assigned a part of the bay where they can handpick each shellfish, especially scallops. But now the mollusks surface trapped in wheat, consuming more time in catching and cleaning before they can be sold. After 40 years farming shellfish, Felix Pilco says the richness of this bay is being lost. Overfishing and the change of the water temperature has deformed the natural banks. The industrial activity around here also increased and is warming up the water. It's a series of reasons for this bank to be scarce. Peru's coast is among the most productive fishing areas in the world. More than 70,000 families depend on artisanal fishing. They produce at least 65% of the fish consumed in the country. Large-scale industrial fishing is also taking a toll on small fishing communities. These fishermen go out at sea for days or they dive for hours, but unlike years before, they say now they don't know if they'll arrive here at the port with enough fish or shellfish to make ends meet. That's why fishermen are putting extra pressure on themselves. Alejandro Ramos suffered a decompression accident that left him with permanent muscle Pause that for a second. There's an image of this man who suffered from decompression injuries, and his muscles are like like a foot in diameter, just yeah. like expanded oh and puffed up. It, it looks like he's wearing like a, a strongman costume. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like ultra. I thought the bends was just internal, but like. Or you yeah. mean like, yeah. It, yeah. You can also show externally Yikes. muscle damage. Yeah. Okay. Going back to it. Damage. Felix Pilco says they have no option but to dive deeper. We often risk decompression because sometimes we feel we have to run back to the port to sell our products. So we get anxious and come to the surface faster. So now we risk more and sell less. Peru's fishing ministry says it will implement vigilant committees to supervise the quality and amount of seafood harvested. Many poor people turn to fishing indiscriminately as a quick solution to providing a livelihood. Their chance to make money fast impacts on the most superficial stocks. So that's why more divers are risking more. There are more accidents, which are now frequent. Many academics say the effects of climate change on the fish and shellfish stocks is still under investigation. Peru's government is fast-tracking regulation of fishing and shellfish gathering. But already these small-scale fishermen say it is much harder and dangerous to make a living. Mariana Sanchez, Al Jazeera, Paracas, Peru. Okay, so that was a wonderful little piece uh, explaining the multiple troubles that these shellfish divers and fishermen in Peru are going through. Um, the divers dive up and down. You know, they they they'll go down for a minute or more at a time, and because of the warmer weather, crabs have to hide under crowns. So they have to be out there for longer. The, seed, the ecosystem is getting changed so that there's new plants and things that are getting all caught up in the, the crabs and stuff. So it takes them longer to prepare them. So this adds a bunch of additional risks for people staying down longer than they need to. Hmm. Um, they're really getting hit by everything. At the end, they, they were talking about how Peru's government is taking steps. The specifics, I don't know, to regulate the market. I assume that means addressing the overfishing by the, the larger fishing companies. Mm -hmm. um, and so hopefully that will, that will, that will happen and that will help lessen the blow considering that we have uh, global warming causing it mm -hmm. things more difficult, this overfishing causing things more difficult. Um, but you know, they're just getting hit. Yeah. 
Wow. On every side, yeah. That's awful. That's pretty rough. Yeah, and yeah, that's rough stuff. Um, can I tell you? Well, it's on a note. Can I tell you, like, whenever I get overwhelmed by news of climate change, because it's super overwhelming, mm-hmm. I I started the habit of looking up any like the good news out there because all i know is the bad news and like you know visions of disaster and i think just for like my mental health it's good for me like to know that there's efforts being done and whatnot um so i saw this statistic that was like yes so it's overwhelming because it just seems every year like we know we need to stop putting out carbon emissions but you know it's only been increasing every year Mm -hmm. but within that number of increasing carbon emissions um so it's like it's like the worldwide economy has been growing at this rate but the relative carbon emissions relative to the growing economy has actually been dropping. Mm. So it's like, you know, let's say the the world economy, this is just an example because I can't remember the specific numbers, but it's like growing at like, you know, 5% every year. Carbon emissions are only growing at like point like 8% every year or something mm. like that. So or it's like it's been dropping every year relative to. So it's like the world as the world expands, you know, there's more carbon emissions going out there, but it's not ex- like growing at the same rate that everything else is, which is only to say that, you know, every year we're getting, we're pushing, putting out less relative to just how much we're putting out period. Yeah. So it gives you hope that we just were like on the verge of pushing to just finally decreasing. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's working in the, in the direction of moving backwards and eventually decreasing how much carbon emissions. So hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. But anyway, just that <laughs> just was the, on a story that seems really sad and just another note on how climate change is affecting communities all over the world really negatively. Yeah. Just a little, a little spot of hope out there. <laughs> you got to keep the little spot of hope. You got to. Yeah. Cause we don't hear too much good news about you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Peru's government is, is stepping up taking, I mean, That's these good. type yeah. of things uh, very well could have gone the other way. Just like, uh, Mm-hmm. The, the whole era of like ultra industries, like big businesses that that was like the yeah. neoliberal dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. And that's that's another bright spot of hope that the government is looking out for these small fishermen, too, and not just yeah. big industry. Yeah. That's good, too. But speaking of depression, uh, National Geographic had the best headline or the best name for an article mm-hmm. just completely destroyed me. And, and it was about overfishing. And it was just called There Aren't Other Fish in the Sea. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Oh, no, oh, that's a good one. It's so true. It's so sad because like the ocean's so big, but most right. of it there's not enough oxygen. Like it's yeah. not it's not where fish live. Yeah. yeah. All right. All righty. So one more world story, Teresa. Yeah. So this story comes from CNN, um, and it is uh, titled "Nigerians Fight Back Against Trump's Extended Travel Ban." So I know you guys heard about this. Um, Nigerians reacted in shock and anger after they were added to Trump's um, updated and controversial visa and travel ban list. The ban, which is one of his signature policies, was recently extended to now include five additional countries. Immigrants from Myanmar, Eritrea, Kyrgyzstan and Nigeria will be banned from the U.S., Okay, did you hear me? Mm. Banned from the U.S. Jesus. Tanzanian and Sudan citizens will no longer be able to apply for diversity visas known as the Green Card Lottery. And that's according to the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, a Nigerian civil group, the Association of Credible Leaders, the, a- the ACL, 
um, has started a petition to revoke the ban, saying that it will affect so many families. Uh, They made this statement. With this new travel ban in effect from February 21st, 2020, U.S. citizens looking to bring over children, parents or siblings will no longer be able to do so. Also, partners or spouses of American citizens will no longer be able to immigrate to the U.S. Uh, The U.S. administration has defended the extended travel ban, saying that it's important for the national security and that some of these countries have simply not met U.S. security standards. Uh, Historically, the U.S. has been a strong ally of Nigeria's fight against the terror group Boko Haram and cybercrime. Mm. Um, It is also Nigeria's main trading partner and has been close, a close diplomatic ally since the 1960s. So this is a big, big deal. Uh, The previous ban has been called, quote, the Muslim ban by the U.S. president, cr- president's critics. But then this new ban <laughs> has been branded the African ban. I'm not laughing at them. I'm laughing at Matt. No, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my um, gosh. No, there was yeah awful. external, not related to the story. Okay. So, yeah, because obviously the next, the four countries um, in the updated version of the ban are in Africa. So the they have been prompted accusations of discrimination and racism. That's wild. Yeah. So the reality of this is like really is um, messing up families. I mean, your spouse can't come with you. Um, your child can't come back. Yeah. Imagine you set up a plan to come here for better opportunities. And then all of a sudden. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, split from the just, people you care most about. It's really awful because it's like, what what did they do? You know, what did they do to be included in this ban or whatever this update was? I don't know. I just I just thought the story was really tough because um, I have a lot of friends who are of mm-hmm. Nigerian ancestry and um, they go back and forth all the time. So I know these families that will be broken up, you know? Yeah, that's rough. Um, <sighs> thank you for that reporting, though. Everyone pay attention to the world around you because be careful. People's rights are you have to fight for this stuff. It doesn't just, you know. You have yeah. to constantly be vigilant about your I rights. mean, we should all try to go, you know, onto that uh, website for the ACL and mm, see if there's yeah. a way we can sign um, the petition. I'll definitely put this story up on our Facebook group so you can get more information. Yeah. Thank you, Teresa. That's awesome. No um, problem. So we've got one more we good do news. Have one more. I'm going to do a quick, uh, like, studio read. Okay. Also. Yes. For that us, sounds real awful. Quick. So, <laughs> um, and thank you again for listening to Objection to the Rule this week. Um, so Radio Free Brooklyn's Drive to Five camp, uh, fundraising campaign is underway. In May, RFB turns five years old, and we need to raise $25,000 so we can continue bringing you commercial-free, independent radio for another five years. Because we think raising money should be fun, each month we'll be bringing listeners fun challenges with some great prizes. This month's challenge is a quiz to find out just how well you know Bushwick. Uh, and I took the quiz and I actually learned a lot about Bushwick. So okay. it was really fun, which is where the studio is located in case anyone's unsure. Um, the top five scorers will win a limited edition five-year anniversary RFB t-shirt. Please enter Objection to the Rule as your favorite show when taking the quiz. And we all might get a prize, too. Hey, I want a t-shirt. I know. You um, get a t-shirt. You, you get a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Oprah. Um, Yes, I just wanted to read that real fast. And then, yes, our last story, Teresa has a little bit of good news for us. Don't we all need some good news, right? All right. I'm glad we added this segment. So this is a a great story. A postal service hero finds a wandering child on the highway. 
Um, so the U.S. Postal employee, his name is Keith Rollins, he found a two-year-old wandering on I-95 on Thursday morning. The what? little boy, his name is Ethan Adiemi, um, he followed an adult outside of a family member's house in Maryland, and then he later disappeared at around 10 o'clock on Wednesday night. The family contacted police, who immediately started a search with fire personnel, canine units, drones, aircrafts, and helicopters from neighboring departments. But Rollins was driving um, on I-95 at 8 a.m. on Thursday morning, and he said he noticed something unusual on the highway. He said, I happened to see a little head. I didn't know whether it was a human or an animal, so I pulled over to call 911. He got out of his car and cautiously approached the child. Um, he said he was wet and shivering and only had on a pair of sweatpants and a sweatshirt, no shoes or socks. So he approached the little boy asking what his name was and if he was okay, and he didn't respond, so he just picked him up and put him in his car until the police arrived. The child was taken to the hospital when the police arrived and treated for hypothermia, and luckily he was returned to his family's home on Thursday night. So police later told him that the boy is to believed to be on the autism spectrum and is currently nonverbal. So he wouldn't have been able to respond anyway. Um, so many people are praising Rollins as a hero who saved the day. And he was quoted as saying, giving glory to God that I was able to help at that particular time and be in the correct place at the right time. But a hero? No, not at all. Aww, How about only that? heroes say that. Exactly. But can you hey. imagine you see a little two-year-old with no socks and shoes just wandering around on the highway? Like a horror movie. Oh my gosh, right? But how did it even get that far? I, I was I kept wondering like how far away the highway was from from, you know, their house cuz yeah. yeah. Was crazy. he just like walking all night? Like yeah. I don't know. That's crazy, <sighs> But thank you so much. No there's problem. you know, there's good people out there. Yeah, right? So, shout out to the little he- the everyday heroes, right? Yeah. You don't have to have a Captain America suit to save anybody. Yeah. Awesome, guys. Well, you've been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, I'm Emily. I'm Teresa. And Matt's here, but he had to, he had an emergency phone call. Um, it appears not, don't worry. I think it's a work related emergency. I don't think it's a anything like <laughs> anything that. Anything too, too scary. But, um, thank you so much. You can listen to us every Sunday at 1 PM, uh, live. We also have, I, we need to actually, we're also, there's a repeat of our show every week too. Oh, um, Yeah. That's awesome. So we need to, I think it's on Wednesdays, but we'll, I'll, I'll make sure we'll to have that. You know, if you can't catch us live now, you can listen to a repeat later in the week. Um, check out our Facebook group, Objection to the Rule, where you can sit, get some of this information of the stories we talked about today yes. and much more yeah. that we have coming up. The Facebook page. Um, and, awesome. Um, yeah, we got one last song. Yeah, We're going to take you out rocking. This is a 19-year-old Coffee. She's a new artist, um, Jamaican artist, and she just won her first Grammy. Awesome. Yeah. And this is a really, I know you've heard this song before. It's been all over the charts. Amazing. I think it's called Toast. It is called Toast. Awesome. Amazing. I couldn't find it in the script. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. See you next week, guys. Bye. I know it.
Give me all the gifts, don't get 